Morning, church. What's up? How's everybody? Awesome. Sit back. I got an hour and a half today. <laughs> Lock the doors, Mike. Oh, oh, I got a lot of stuff up here with me this morning. Happy Mother's Day. I realize we were uh, praying downstairs before we came up, and I know that Mother's Day is one of those days that we want to honor and celebrate, but I know that it's, for lots of us, it's a, it's a, there's a, there's a joy with it. Uh, for, I know for some of you ladies, there's, there's some pain with it as well. I know that some of us still have our moms. Some of them have lost our moms. Some of us have our moms. Some of us have, uh, have lost children. And so wherever, um, wherever you are this morning, uh, just know that, uh, that we're thankful for you as a, as a mom, and we're thankful for, uh, you know, for being here. Uh, so, you know, thanks, Mom. Although my mom would probably say, yeah, I don't, maybe that was a mistake. Um, no, I really was a mistake, but that's, that's another story. You know, God, God turns ashes into something, right? So anyway, uh, that's a sermon for another Sunday. We'll talk about that later. Anyway, um, I have issues, and so it's her fault. Anyway, um, it's, no, it's still, I still, I'm still, I'm still, still my childhood, at least until I turn 50, which is on September 12th. Write that down. Anyway, it's great to have you with us. Hey, listen, Brian, um, our lead pastor, if you're new here or maybe you haven't been around for a few weeks, is out on sabbatical uh, for the month of May and the first Sunday of June. And so they're getting some rest. I believe they were worshiping at Abundant Life in Lee Summit this morning. I know last week they worshiped at, um, oh, help me, Maria, where'd they say they went last week? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, they went to First Baptist Blue Springs last week. So they're just kind of checking out churches and enjoying worshiping as a family together. I know that's, I know that's great for them. You don't get to do that a lot in ministry to just go kind of hang with your family and worship. So um, I talked to Brian, texted a little bit this morning, and so he was, he was also performing his other duties for his other job and visiting another church this morning. So while he's off, he's not really off. So pray for him and, and Sarah and the kids as they're out uh, these few weeks that, uh, that God just give them rest as they, uh, as they take some time. And uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to get to teach, and uh, it's always, always an honor to, to stand in the pulpit. So look forward to sharing with you this morning. Last week, if you remember, we started our time together with a clock ticking for about two minutes, and some of you thought you were going to lose your mind as you heard your life ticking away for those couple of minutes. So we just talked about perspective. We talked about how our lives are often like a boat, and we leave wakes behind us that are relationships, that are tasks how we, uh, how we kind of go through life and sometimes don't find the urgency in it. And so as we've kind of walked through this last week and this week and, and, a, and a couple more over the next uh, few, uh, we're going to just continue to kind of look at what living with urgency means and how urgency can point us to really what is important in our lives and often what is not. So it's really about perspective. Here's our verse for the series, and you can read along with me, James 4, 13 through 15, and it says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. 
And so perspective says that uh, we're not promised tomorrow. In fact, as we sat here last week, I said it's entirely possible that one of you might not be back this week. Um, I didn't hear about anybody not making it through the week, so we're going to assume that everything's good to this point, um, and you're all back. But we aren't promised tomorrow. We're not promised what's next. We're not promised anything, uh, including our next breath. Um, I just, um, my son-in-law shared with me in our prayer time this morning that um, a friend of his sister's uh, lost her husband overnight, 24-year-old, died in his sleep. Folks, it's short. You have, we have no idea, really, how much time we have. We have no idea what tomorrow might bring. With a wife and two little children at home, and we think, what's God's purpose in that? But we know that God has a purpose. We know that God has a plan, and even in the midst of tragedy, um, we pray and we, we believe um, that God will work in their lives through those that are connected with them, through Christ, and, uh, and bring comfort to them. But the point is that perspective says that life is short, and that's sobering, right? I mean, it's not what we really want. Can't we come to church and feel good? Nope, not today. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's Mother's Day. We're all going to die. So, um, <laughs> so today is really just about some questions that I want us to ask ourselves. As long as last week was, I know I preached for an hour, and I don't apologize for that. I believe when God's moving, we go with God, right? Amen? Amen. All right. Hour and a half. There it is. So I'll add, my, I'll add my last 14 points on this morning. But this, this morning is not going to be long. I want to set us up for next week. Uh, my friend Galen is going to be here, and I pray, you do not want to miss next week. Um, I've been friends with Galen since we went through church planting assessment together uh, back in 2008. He's an incredible man of God um, who really lives his life uh, in the Spirit, and wherever God leads, he goes. And you're, you're going to want to hear what he has to say next week, I promise. And then uh, we're going to continue with the series those last two weeks. But um, today is really about these questions I want us to ask. Um, and, 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 and to start, I guess one of the things that I, I think about is that we really live, and I, maybe you'll agree, in a world that is very self-sufficient, right? It's, all, it's, it's about me, and I can do it on my own, and I don't need anybody else until I do, right? Um, I, can, I can function on my own. I'd rather not ask for help from people. I, I, I'm not a big, like, asking for help for people stuff, except for a couple of friends that I have that are really good at stuff I'm not, and they're good enough friends that they know I'll buy them food if they help me and, um, and help them. And so one of my really good friends, uh, Brian, that, I've, that we've been friends, well, about 2008, and uh, he comes over and helps me fix things, and then when he's doing projects, he calls me and I go hold things for him because I don't get to use power tools, so I don't, like, fasten anything to the wall so it doesn't fall off anybody's head. Everybody's safer that way. Uh, but we kind of, you know, just exchange um, help here and there. But I'm not somebody who really likes to be kind of, believe it or not, like kind of center of attention with that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't like to feel needy. I don't like to feel like I've got to have help with something. It bothers me to ask for help sometimes. And that's, um, sometimes that's a good thing, but sometimes that can be a really bad thing. Um, and in our world, really, we're, we're taught to be self-sufficient, right? We're not really taught community. I mean, everything that we learn in school and socially says you know, be your own person, be your own thing, you know, whatever's right for you is right, whatever's true for you is true, which is jacked up in its own whole sense, but that's, again, another message. So, um, you know, I, but, but this self-sufficiency thing is often gets in our way. I think of kind of three kinds of people when I think of people that are self-sufficient. First one I think of is people that are highly intelligent. You all know somebody who's highly intelligent. Um, people, CEOs of companies, people with 
that have that risen to the top. You know, in, in their industry, they're the, they're the cream of the crop. They make a lot of money, and they, they seem to have it made, right? And they're, um, they're just super smart. You know, anybody like that? They've just got, like, degrees coming out of their ears, and, you know, them going and getting another PhD is just no big deal because they've already got 13, so what's another one? You know, um, and they're just really smart people, um, and, and, they, and they have that career. I, I, I often, I'm, I don't know why I'm picking on my son-in-law today, but I'm often jealous of, of his drive to succeed. Um, he is intelligent, um, and, you know, I, a, a kid who gets his master's degree at 20, 23, 24 years old and is set up for life to never have to go back, and I think, man, why didn't I do that? Oh, because I'm dumb, um, <laughs> right? So... Because um, I because I didn't figure that out until I was in my forties, right? Some of us are just some of we'll just call ourselves late bloomers, and we'll be okay with that. Um, but I think of people that are like that, and he's one of the people I think of when I think of really highly intelligent people. And then, and then we think of the people that are greatly gifted, people like me, you know, musicians. Um, come on, that was a joke. I'm not. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you're like you know, the lightning is going to strike. Maria's backing off the front row. Um, people that are highly talented, and I'll and I'll just use like Andrew for example this morning. Um, I mean, he's up here playing keyboard. He normally plays bass, but sometimes he plays electric guitar or he can play acoustic guitar. He's also well-trained in, um, in classical guitar. And like, I want to be Andrew when I grow up. And he's 23, four, four? five, man, son, the, the sun is, the sun is setting on your life. I hate to tell you. But, you know, you, you look at people that are really gifted like that, right? And you just, you, you see that kind of talent, right? And, and you see those, those people often becoming very successful in their industry. Ed Sheeran is one of those guys who doesn't even travel with a band. He stands in the middle of the stage in a little box and, and just loops everything. If you ever go to one of his concerts, it's one of the most amazing things you'll ever watch is to watch him perform. Um, and there's a reason why he is where he is, right? And, uh, and, and then, you know, other people that are, are gifted in, in sports, Right, we're, we we go play softball, and I realize very quickly that I'm not gifted in sports. Um, I'm I'm often the athletic supporter that my dad once called me. Um, you'll uh, you can look that up on your way home and find the other name for that. I won't I won't share, but I, I got called that once when I was in the hospital after a nasal surgery. He said, "Son, you're a real athletic supporter." I was like, "Thanks, Dad. Appreciate that." He's with Jesus now, but we're gonna have words. Um, <laughs> I never got to confront him. I, anyway, um, so we look at people that are really gifted, right? Politicians, people that, are, that really do well for themselves. And we, and we think of people that are uber-religious. You know any of these kind of people that are uber-religious? Like, they just have it together spiritually. And when you look at them and you think, man, I, I want to be like that guy spiritually, like, I mean, or that, that woman spiritually. Like, she, she always has a scripture to share, and she's always walking in faith, and she's always positive. In fact, you know, she's so positive, sometimes I want to break her toe, so she'll have something to be negative about, right? You know, those kind of people that you just like, could you just break your leg and stop being so dang positive all the time? But, you know, um, I, my, my girlfriend tells me that if you do break your leg, it's probably allergies and you just need to take Zyrtec. So, um, and I'll explain that later. Anyway, so, but these are those people with like tons of faith, right? I mean, they, they just get it. They're, they, they describe prayer and devotional in their lives and they, they work Jesus into every conversation and and, and they just, you just envy them. They just seem to have it all together. Um, and, and those are kind of sometimes the people that, that, we, that we idolize in, in our lives, right? Um, and, and here's where I want to get to. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down because the Holy Spirit just gave this kind of to me this morning as I was kind of sitting reading. But uh, <clears throat> if you had to kind of nail down a point for the day, let me, let me just kind of give it. This would be it. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. 
this morning, all right? It's this. Being desperate can feel urgent. And sometimes the reverse of that is true. As I've, as I've studied, I've realized that urgent often can be flip-flopped. So sometimes what's urgent can make us feel desperate. So they're kind of interchangeable. When I'm desperate, I can feel a real sense of urgency about what's making me feel desperate. Or I can have a real sense of urgency, and because of that, I feel desperate. So they're, they're kind of interchangeable and kind of the same thing. But this word desperate is really what I want us to kind of look at and unpack this morning, this this idea of feeling desperate. Have you ever felt, de- has anybody ever felt desperate? Has anybody not felt desperate? You can go have some coffee because um, I'm not talking to you this morning. But most of us, I think at some point in our lives have felt desperate. Um, we have felt desperate relationally in a, in a relationship where we, we just can't seem to make it right no matter what we do. Um, we just, we can't seem to, can't seem to get over the hump relationally with somebody. Some of us um, it's, it's our work. Um, we, we just, we can't break through that hump in our work and we're just desperate maybe for another job. Maybe we're desperate to do something else. Um, maybe we're just desperate. We just, we just, we just know there's something else we're supposed to be doing, that God's calling us to do something else. And we, we feel a sense of desperation and urgency because of that. Some of us, um, and I've, and I, we've probably all been here, but some of us, uh, from, from a financial standpoint might feel desperate. Um, through, through our own poor decisions or through circumstances that we had no control over or whatever may have been going on around us that caused us to feel that desperation. I think one of the most desperate feelings to feel is that of a financial desperation um, because it makes, us feel, it makes us feel helpless. It makes us feel um, less than. It makes us feel like um, everybody else has it together and we don't. And let me just tell you, nothing can be further from the truth. I believe the last statistic I read was something like 85% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. We're all a paycheck away from being desperate. A lot of us are. Um, and that's, again, a message for another day, but um, there are a lot of things that can make us really feel desperate. Um, does it ever just seem like when you pray that you just, you, it's, just not, it's just not happening? Like, I'm, just, I'm desperate to pray, and I just, God's just not, I, or, I don't know if he's, I don't know what the deal is, but I'm just... It's not happening for me. He's not hearing me, or I don't feel like he's hearing me. Um, you ever just feel like you want a God to do something in your life so bad, and you're so hungry for it that you just feel desperate about it, um, that, that you, just, you just want God to do something? Or, and, and so let me ask you this. Did, did it ever occur to you when those things are happening around us and in our lives that that's maybe exactly where God wants us to be? That in those times of desperation, that those are the times where we tend to depend on God the most. In fact, for most of us, and a lot of us won't even get this out until crap hits the fan, right? I mean, a lot of us just, when things are cruising, it's kind of that we talked about last week that I just got a little bit of God over here. I'm good. I just, I went to church Sunday. I don't need anything else, right? But when we get desperate, we feel like, oh man, I need to press into community. I need to, I need to get help. I need to, I need to surround myself with people, right? Uh, when our health is great, we're doing fine. We don't need anybody. But suddenly when we get sick, um, we, we, we'd like, we, we want people to pray for us. We want people to be around us. We want people to, to, to help us, right? Um, when we're working and everything's going great, fantastic. But as soon as that job goes kaput, we're in a desperate place where we need others, right? And so a lot of times we aren't pushed into where God wants us to be sometimes until we're desperate. And the bottom line of that is that we need to be desperate for God all the time. Um, because in that desperation is where is where God does the most in our lives. And we're going to look at a couple of examples of that this morning. 
Um, and sometimes those things I want might be tangible, um, the things that I'm desperate for, and they might not be the things that God wants for me. It may not look like what I want it to look like. Um, it might be that he leaves us in a place where we feel vulnerable and desperate for a while as he tests us and he says, where, where are you in your faith with me? Where are you really um, in that desperation? Are you going to lean on me? And as long as I may like it, make it last, will you continue to lean on me for your provision and, and for, for taking care of you? He may not heal that thing in our lives that we want him to heal. Uh, there, you know, a lot of us have stuff that, that we, just, we wish would just go away, right? I got a backache or, um, you know, whatever. I constantly um, have diarrhea. I don't know. It just Nothing's coming, and that was the first thing. I, I apologize. We'll edit that out in the video later. Could you mark that at whatever time that slot that is, Andy? Um, whatever it is, right? I mean... It's just something we wish would go away and it won't, right? Um, some of us are just chronically constipated and need to smile more. So um, anyway, so I want us to look at the, the life of Paul uh, this morning, and, uh, and we're going to talk about his life, and we're going to compare and contrast that with Job a little bit today. Um, I'll tell you that I was, I was desperate this week um, for a message. Uh, I, it just, I'm telling you, it wasn't happening. I, I had written a whole message like Monday, Tuesday, and it was just, talk about the toilet. It just, it just wasn't doing it. And I just felt unsettled about it all week. And I sat down at Panera on Friday and I started typing and God just, God just kind of blurted this. So um, it's funny sometimes because you, I don't always know, you know, what God wants to say to us. And often he says it to me first, um, like you need to do this in your life before you tell and preach on this. And so that's just kind of how God works in my life. But um, everything really comes down to this perspective, and I want us to draw that between these, between these two men. Um, and so look at, if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You can turn there. We're going to park there uh, for a few minutes. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 is where we're going to settle in here. That's in the New Testament, those of you that might be new to Scripture. Maybe you haven't opened your Bibles for a while. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited, this is Paul talking, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was giving, given to me in the flesh, a, mes a messenger of Satan to harass me and to keep me from becoming conceited. So I want you to think about who we're talking about here. This is Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament. This is a man who was an apostle. This is a man who was called to go reach those who were not Jews, to go reach the Gentiles of that time, uh, to go and preach the good news. I don't know what is up with this mic. Uh, hang on, just, just bear with me a second, but it keeps falling off. To preach the message of the Gentiles um, to, to them. And uh, if you remember, um, God spoke to him and, and, a, and lightning flashed and he was blinded for three days and God called him out of being a harasser of the church to a starter of the church. And so this was Paul, um, a man who was a man of God, I think any of us would say and agree. Um, and, and he had some revelations. We don't really know what those were because he didn't really share all of it, but we know that he was caught up into the third heaven. We know that some, some revelations were given to him, and we know he went about 10 years from when he got those revelations until in 2 Corinthians he shares that this thing's happened to him. Paul was all, always very aware of not being conceited, 
Um, if you just read Scripture and look at Paul, you might look at him and think, man, this guy really thinks he is the, the, the bee's knees. Like, but nothing is further from the truth. He preaches with confidence in the Word of God, but he does it out of a place of humility. And part of the reason he doesn't share these revelations is because he doesn't want people to look at him differently as someone who they need to aspire to because they want him to, he wants them to aspire to be more like Jesus, not more like Paul. And so you see Paul constantly reminding that, that he's the greatest of sinners, that he is, he is fallible, that he's not perfect. Um, and he finally says here, just from a place of authority, listen, I've had all of these revelations from God. They're too great. There's not words for what this looked like. Unlike John, who also got a revelation, and that's where we got the book of Revelation from, and, and, and the Holy Spirit wrote that book through him, Paul never really shares what he was told or what he saw. But because of what he saw, and because God knew that that could lead to conceit, because God knew it, Paul's heart, and he knew that, that he needed to protect Paul's heart, Paul says, he gave me a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that was. Uh, we don't know what we don't really don't, there's, you know, lots of speculation and I'm not going to make speculation because when we start doing that with scripture, that's when we have a problem. Um, but we don't know what that, what that was, but he says a thorn was given to me in the flesh. And listen to these words, a messenger of Satan to harass me. How many of us in here this morning think we're better than Paul? All right, let's just, just for a minute, all right? I would not begin to compare myself with Paul. I'm way more of a Peter and not even on that level, but only because he stuck his foot in his mouth constantly, and I tend to do that. <laughs> but the man was a great preacher, and so that's where, you know, that's where we kind of come in line. But anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, um, so, but none of us, I don't think, would sit here and say, you know, I'm, I'm Paul, right? I, I'm, I'm as great of a man as Paul was, or I'm as, I'm as, I'm as great as a prophet as Paul, but none of us would say that. This is a man who literally went to the third heaven, spent time there with God. This is a man who was called out on the road to Damascus, who was called out of a life of killing Christians to a life of, of preaching and sharing Jesus and seeing people saved. And he was given a thorn in the flesh to remind him that you are nothing without me. God literally says to him, you are, you are nothing without me. I'm going to give you this thorn to remind you to continue to know that you're going to be harassed by Satan. I mean, and we don't, again, we don't know what this was. There's, there's speculation that maybe, maybe it was, a, maybe it was a, a lust issue in his life. Maybe he, he just couldn't overcome lust and it was a constant temptation. Or, or maybe it really was a pain. Maybe he walked with a limp. I don't know. Uh, maybe he had one eye. I don't know what his issue was, but it was something that constantly reminded him that he needed to be walking in the Spirit and walking with God and to keep him humble in that. So he says it was a messenger from Satan. So whatever it was, it probably wasn't pleasant. So just kind of keep that in your mind when you think of Paul and you read his scripture, that this is who we're talking about. This is who wrote these scriptures. To keep me from becoming conceited. Verse 8 says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times, he says, I pleaded with the Lord. Have you ever pleaded with the Lord? Have you ever, I mean, plead, I mean, you're on your, you are on your knees at the altar and you are, God, take this away. Have you ever felt that desperate? God, take this away from me. I can't handle it. And you're right. You can't handle it. And neither could Paul, but God left him with it. He says, three times I pleaded for him to take this away. Therefore, uh, and, and, and he said that it would leave him. And then verse nine says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. This is really backwards to how we look at our lives. And I think you'll find, as you read Scripture, as you grow in your walk with Christ, that a life that follows Christ looks very, very opposite of everything that we would be considered to be normal in our culture. Very opposite, very different from what our culture says is the norm. When I am weak, he is strong. Our society says, be strong in yourself. But Paul says, when I'm weak, he's strong. When we're desperate, weak, and at the end of ourselves, that's when God works through us. Think about Moses for a minute, who we've talked about over the last year more than once, uh, who, who argued with God that he couldn't lead the people of God out of Egypt into Israel, into the promised land. He, he, he spoke with a stutter. He, he felt insignificant. He didn't feel up to the task. He was, he was an older man by the time this happened. He'd spent 40 years being a shepherd, and God calls him to go do this amazing thing. And Moses knew he couldn't do it without the power of God. Question, what is God calling you to that you can't do outside of the power of God? Job, and this is, a, this is an amazingly sad story, but an incredible story of God. He thinks he's been treated unfairly. And if you read the book of Job, and I'd encourage you to do that. In fact, I think Chris has been doing a study. Are you guys still in Job? You're done with Job. Sorry you missed it. Um, But a great study on the book of Job um, and his life and man's arguments for his potential (laughs) towards God. Um, And maybe God was unfair. I don't know. I mean, when you look at, when you look at, his life, maybe, maybe God was unfair. Maybe he was. But God knew something that Job didn't know, and he knew something that we don't know, and that's that he had a plan for Job, and that he had Job in his hands. Job didn't know what was going on behind the scenes, and God said, who are you to question me? <laughs> and so we don't really know I don't think what that would have felt like for um, God to allow Satan to attack us in that way, to take away everything, only to restore us later, only to walk faithfully, even in the questioning of God. And instead of God arguing with Job when Job said, why did you let this happen to me? God looked at him and said, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm God. Who are you? Where were you when I created the earth? Can you take Leviathan out as a pet? Were you here when I created the oceans? Were you here when I created the seas? Were you here when I separated the darkness from the light? Were you here when I breathed life into man? Were you here? Sit down and mind your place. I mean, God just basically says to Job, stay in your lane, bro. I've got this. Trust me. And it took an entire book of Job for Job to get to the end of this book and finally go, oh, oh. Because in our humanity, 
We want to somehow explain the ways of God, and the truth is we can't explain the ways of God. We don't understand the ways of God. We don't understand always what it is He's wanting to do. And, and that's where faith comes in. That's where we talk about having the faith of a child comes in. I, I don't get it. Well, you're not supposed to get it. If you got it all, you'd be God and you wouldn't need God. We're not supposed to understand it all. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's not to say that we're not to seek understanding. That's not to say that we're not supposed to study. That's not supposed to say that we're, we're not supposed to dig into the Word of God to understand Him better. But the bottom line is, God's ways are not our ways. And so Paul, coming back to look at his life again from, from, from Job, he recognized that the thorn was a way of keeping him humble. And verse 9, he, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm made perfect in your weakness. And so two kinds of desperation I want us to look at quickly. Two kinds of desperation. And I want to just define desperation. This is, what the, this is the um, Oxford Dictionary's definition of desperate. That feeling that you have when you're in such a bad situation that you're willing to take risks in order to change it. That's desperation. I am, I am, I am in such a bad situation that I'm willing to take risks in order to get out of this situation. And so, if desperation makes us feel urgent, that desperation often leads to frustration. Our desperation often leads us to frustration. I'm desperate enough to become frustrated with God because He's not doing it my way. That kind leads us to being mad and inactive. Been there? God, you're not doing it my way. This isn't working for me now. I'm, I've kind of had it with you which is where Job was, just kind of sick of it. Like, I, what, why? I don't understand. And sometimes we don't understand. And sometimes this side of eternity, we may not understand what God's trying to teach us. But I'm trying to see what God does. And oftentimes that leads us to these two words, unless and until. Unless and until this happens, I'm going to trust myself. Unless and until you do this, God... I'm going to do this. Unless and until I see you do ABC, I'm going to do my own ABC over here. Unless and until. They're really dangerous words. Last week, we talked about turning when into now. We talked about turning intentions into actions. And often these hinge on unless and until. I'll turn it into now when God does what I want. I will turn it into now unless and until he does. And we give God an ultimatum. I'll turn my intentions into actions when God does what I want. I'll turn my intentions into actions unless and until he does. And this was the story of Job. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's, that's the story of Job. God allowed Satan to afflict him. And, and how often is this us that our human wisdom is attempting to explain the unexplainable until God speaks? Man's humble and ignorant mortality, and Job 38.4 says this, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. He rebukes Job, and Job says, unless and until, right? And his friends are like, unless and until, and God rebukes them all. None of us understood our parents' reasoning as kids. How many of you understood when your parents said, because I said so? I love Maverick's look on his face when I say, because I said so. Yeah, but no. 
Because I said so. Yeah, but no. Because I said so. Why can't I play on the highway, Dad? Because I said so. <laughs> right? This is, this, is the, this is the mentality. Like, why can't I throw a baseball at your truck, Dad? Because I said so. Right? Sometimes we don't need the reason, and sometimes we don't even understand the reason. But God has a perfect plan and a perfect protection in place for us. And sometimes he just says to us, well, because I said so. And that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? That is a hard pill to swallow. Um, But we have to realize that our parents and our father, our heavenly father, has our best interests in mind. The difference is that Paul has accepted that God has a plan And even though in desperation he prayed, God, take this away three times, God didn't take it away. And Paul did this one word that we really hate in our society, and women especially hate this word in our society, and wait for it, it's the word submit. It is a dirty word, is it not? We don't talk about submission. I'm not submission, I'm not submitting to the government. I ain't submitting to the church. I'm not submitting to my boss when he tells me to do that. Listen, there is authority placed in our lives for a reason. And God is the ultimate of that. We have to submit to God's will for our lives to live in the center of his will in our lives. And we don't always understand that. I've, I've been there. We've all been there. I, you know, I'll do this when you, when you heal this, right? Or I'll, I'll be okay when such and such is okay. And it's in those moments where God is crying out to us, just call out to me. Just let me be your father. The second kind of desperation is this. There's a desperation that leads to obedience. So there's a desperation that leads to frustration, and there's a desperation that leads to obedience. I'm desperate enough to be at my own end, and I simply have nothing left. That's the kind of desperation that leads us to a yes and an amen mentality, where we finally say, yes, God, whatever you say, and amen, which means let it be. Let it be so in my life. That doesn't, let me clarify, mean that we just sit and idle and go, well, okay, I guess that's okay. No, we continue to press into God. We continue to push into God. And we continue to say yes to God. And we continue to say, let it be in my life. I realize it is what it is. And I'll be obedient and I'll serve in my weakness. This week, out of nowhere. Now, let me go back for some of you that are new here today. A couple years ago, I had a bunch of eye problems. Well, I've had eye problems my whole life. A couple years ago, I had a, a retinal detachment that led to a bunch of pressure. It was right after, it was two years ago, June 8th. Um, and I wasn't able to see for most of that summer, and then it happened again in November, December, and had to have more surgery. I ended up having five eye surgeries in the course of six months. Um, if you haven't had a needle stuck in your eye, I really encourage you to do it. It's, it's, it's really liberating. Um, no, I pray you don't ever have to do that. Most of the time, I don't notice it. I've got when, 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 I'm, I'm going to be scientific for a minute. When a retina is reattached to our eye, we have to, have you ever seen anybody that's ever had this done? You have to lay like face down for like 48 hours so that your retina will stay attached to the back of your, to the back of where they attach it to, which is, anyway, um, they have to put either gas or oil into your eye 
to hold everything in place while you lay flat. It's miserable. Try laying flat on your face sleeping. You, you don't sleep. You finally just get so tired that you're just like, oh, and you're drooling all over everything, and you're not really sleeping, and you're like, because you can't breathe. So it's not even snoring. It's more like just, it's more like somebody speaking in German. It's just really bad snot. And so you're laying on your face, and you're miserable, and you're praying that God makes this thing work, and he did, and, I, and most of the time, I don't really think of it. But just this week, I have this new pocket of gas bubbles that popped up in my vision. And I'm like, what in the world is this? Like, where did those, those are pretty. Wow, look at all those flow. <laughs> they're just little, they're, they're little circles and there's black a ring around them and you can see, and I can see through it. In fact, if I look down, a big one comes right into the center of my vision. If you ever catch me doing this, I'm trying to get the bubbles to go down so I can see your face. Um, a whole bunch of them just like floating everywhere, right? And I'm just, well, what in the world? And it went on for about three days and then it went away. Um, I don't know where they went. I guess they just, I don't know, maybe they're taking a nap and they'll be back. They were, they were fun little friends. But it was a reminder to me that like, at times for me, that makes me feel desperate. I have absolutely no desire to go blind. I mean, that just scares the living tar out of me. If God, if, I mean, I, if I go blind, God's, I don't know what he's doing. But I have to be okay with that's a possibility. And I'm certainly not speaking something over my life, but I also am keenly aware that it is entirely possible in my lifetime that I won't have vision. I'm incredibly thankful that God's called me to ministry because I can still talk and sing and play piano blind. I will be Ronnie Millsap. Stevie, Stevie Wonder's got nothing one-eyed wonder. That's right. Um, but it reminds me sometimes, and it takes me back to that desperate feeling I had that, that over that time of having to rely on God. And it, it was uncomfortable, and it was scary. It was a thorn, really, at that time. But God says, my grace is sufficient for you, because my power is made perfect in your weakness. I may feel it's not fair. It's not. It's not fair, right? Stuff that happens to us isn't fair, but God never says life's going to be fair. He says, but when you come to me and you follow me, I'll walk you through it. I'll be there with you through it. I promise I won't leave you alone because my grace is sufficient for you. I've got more than enough. It's sufficient. My power is made perfect when you're weak. When we're at our weakest, when we're at our most humble, when we're in a place like that, God says, that's when I can use you the most. It could be that God wants you right where you are. This is, when, when, this is how wind turns into now, and this is how intentions become actions, is when we decide this one thing. Verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I'm weak, they are strong. How many of you would write that in your journal? God today, dear diary, today I'm okay with persecutions. Please persecute me. Today, Lord, I think I'd like some calamity in my life. If you could just do a little of that. Today, Lord, I'd like some insults and some hardships my way because it's been a couple minutes since somebody called me the bald fat man. 
How many of us like sit down with our journal and I go, man, I'm desperate for to get made fun of. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. This is, but this is what Paul's saying. It's ludicrous. It's so backwards and upside down from what we believe and what we think we deserve. We deserve nothing. Folks, we deserve hell. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. We don't deserve a Savior. We don't deserve Jesus. We don't deserve a cross. We don't deserve an empty tomb. But God said, my story continues on for redemption for mankind because I love you. I created you. I want the best for you. Things may stink sometimes, but I've got you in my hand. Just trust me. We don't deserve any of that. And Paul sits here and says, I'm good. And so here's my question for you this morning. Four of them. Are you okay being weak? Are you okay being weak? Physically, emotionally, mentally trusting him with us. Some of us have debilitating depression and anxiety. And God says, I can use that. He may not heal that in your life. He may. But he may say, I want you to have that in your life because it makes you trust me. It makes you lean into community. It makes you lean into others. It holds you accountable because you can't survive that without trusting me. Maybe emotionally, mentally, trusting him with it. Of course, we get the help we need, but perspective says that if I had 30 days to live, what would my priority be? Am I okay being weak? Am I okay sharing Jesus in my weakness? Am I okay saying, man, I mean, I'm at the bottom of the toilet right now, but Jesus is faithful, and I know there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm going to continue to share his love for the world around me, and I'm going to continue to be a light even when it sucks. You're not allowed to say that word from the stage in a lot of churches, but sometimes it does, doesn't it? I know for some of you, you struggle with some pretty good ramifications from fighting in the military. You have to know that there's not one of us who doesn't recognize that, who, ha- who, who, who have no idea what that looks like. But I know for every single one of you, because I know who you are, that you trust God with it. Because if you didn't, you'd be in a really dark place. I know for some of us, we've come out of abusive situations. Some of us have gone through divorces. Some of us have gone through, through accidents and wrecks, and we have pain in our lives. And we just, we can't survive unless we lean into Jesus and trust him with it. And if you're not doing that this morning, Jesus stands with his hands out and he says, come to me, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. He's not just saying words, he's making promises. Am I content with hardships? Listen, some hardships we bring on our own, and that's because we're just blind, dumb, doodah, stupid sometimes. I mean, it's true. I mean, people have come to me and said, man, I got saved five years ago, and man, life's just not any different. I'm like, well, are you living any different? No, why? I mean, it, it, it's not a magic pill. Jesus doesn't say, I mean, take a scripture, swallow it, and everything's going to be fine. No, we have to continue to submit. We have to continue to trust, and we have to continue to know that God has more for us than we could ever hope or imagine in the midst of all of that, of our hardships. Some of us need to get control of some things in our lives so we stop going through hardships, to be frank. But some of those hardships are out of our control. Some of those hardships have nothing to do with us. 
the young man that passed away last night? I don't have words for that. I don't understand that. I have no idea why God takes a young father from his wife and children. But all I can do is pray and intercede for this family. All I can do is pray that God has his way in these people's lives. All I can do is pray that these children grow up in the love of Jesus and become sounding voices for God's grace and mercy in the midst of tragedy. What greater thing can we pray for, for his wife and children, but for God to use them for his glory, even in the midst of pain? I know that pain. That pain sucks. I don't know that there's anything worse than knowing that it's Mother's Day and your kids don't have a mom. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I know that I wouldn't be sitting here today. And I know that I'd be in a whole different place that would have nothing to do with God if it weren't for the grace and the mercy of my Savior. If it weren't for the grace and the love of His church. Holding on and saying, we won't let you go. We love you. And we're going to be Jesus with skin on to you. And that's what I pray for this young mom. And that's what I pray for people that are in tragedy that we can't explain. All we can do is be Jesus. We don't have the answers, but we know who does. And we know he's faithful. And we know he'll hold us. Am I content with persecutions? Scripture says you will be persecuted doesn't say you might be persecuted. You will be persecuted for my name's sake. Maybe I don't have as many friends. Maybe I need to make new ones. Maybe I need to set some people aside that are my close confidants and embrace some other ones that will hold me up in Jesus. I need to continue to reach. I need to continue to love, but I need to surround myself with people who are like-minded in Christ so that when those persecutions come, I can stand. Yeah, it might mean you're different or weird, but I know some amazing different weird people that love Jesus. And we're all called to be that because this is so upside down. Am I content with calamities? A calamity is this. I had to look it up. And a calamity is an event causing great and often summoned... An event causing great and often sudden damage or distress. A disaster. Paul journals in Scripture, I'm good with calamities. Are you? Am I? When it hits the fan, am I okay? And this is what we're going to end with. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Contentment demands commitment. 
Text yourself that. Write it down somewhere. If you will remember these three words, contentment demands commitment. I cannot be content in my life until I commit to things in my life. That's true in every area of our lives. It's true in our relationships. I will not be content in my relationship until I commit fully to that relationship and I commit it fully to Jesus. I will not be content in my job until I commit my job and everything I have to it and give it to Jesus. I will not be content in my finances until I commit my finances and make a commitment to be wise in my finances to Jesus. Contentment doesn't come without action. And commitment in this text is a verb. Commitment is something we do. Contentment is an action. Commitment requires that we do something. We don't stay where we are. If you're not content in your work, then go figure out what you need to do to do different work. That may require some sacrifice. That may require some time. That may require other finances. That may require help from other people. If you want to be content in your relationships, then you need to commit to digging into those relationships, to spending time in those relationships, to committing those relationships to Jesus. All of this hinges on commitment. You will never be content until you commit, or you're committed, for some of you. We have to commit to be content. Let's pray. God, maybe we could... um, Man, maybe we could just sit on these three words for a minute. And Lord, as, as, we, as we wrote on those three by five cards last week, the things that we spend our time on and the things that we should spend our time on, God, the things that uh, we spend our, our money on and the things that we should spend our money on, the things that are goals for us in the next 5, 10, 15 years versus God, maybe the goals that you have for us in the next 5, 10, 15 years for us. Lord, this morning doing that thing might just be fully surrendering to you and saying, Jesus, for the first time today, I'm giving my life to you and I'm going to commit to you so that you can bring about some level of contentment in my life because I'm going to commit to give it all to you. And God, we know that contentment doesn't mean that we won't have calamity. Contentment doesn't mean that we won't have problems and we won't have trials and that people in our lives won't die and tragedy won't happen and and we won't wonder why sometimes and think, God, what are you doing? But ultimately, God, we can rest in you and in your presence because we know that you have a plan and that you have us held in your mighty right hand right next to your heart and you say, I've got this. And so this morning for some of us, Lord, we need to commit our relationships to you. And we need to take steps in that. God, we need, to, we need to commit our finances to you. And we need to take steps in that. Lord, we commit our spouses to you, Lord. And we want our marriages to be healed and made right. And so we want to take steps to commit that to you, Lord. Father, whatever it is in our lives, God, maybe it's, maybe it's forgiveness, Lord, that we need to offer Or we need to ask for it. We need to swallow our pride. And we need to say, I'm sorry. And we commit that relationship to you. And God, in the midst of that, you heal it in your time. Lord, whatever those steps are this morning, I know 
that I know this morning that we all have something as we sit here that we need to commit to you. Lord, so that we can come back and look at Paul's verses and say, therefore, I'll boast more gladly in my weaknesses. Because in my weakness, I'm content with insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, Lord, I know that you're strong. I don't need to be strong because you've got that for me. And so whatever that is for you this morning, if you, need to, if you just need to hand something over to him, I'm just going to ask you to stand. If that's you this morning, you need to receive Jesus for the first time. You need to hand something over to him. You need to give him control. You need to say, Jesus, I want to be content in these things. I, I've got some things I've messed up. I've got some things that I don't understand. I need you to hang on to me. I need to be okay. I need to be content and rest in you and know that in that weakness, I'm made strong. And whatever that is for you this morning, if that's you, I'm just going to invite you to stand up. Nobody's looking around. It's just you and me and Jesus. If that's you this morning, I need to hand over this piece of my life, whether it's maybe it's your children or relationships or marriage. I just need to hand this over to you, Lord. Father, for those that are standing, God, I pray that in their weakness, you would be strong. God, for those who aren't standing who need to be, that in our weakness, you're made strong. God, you desire nothing more. You desire nothing more than to bless us. Your word says that all good gifts come from you. All good gifts come from you. And just like our fathers and our mothers, God, you want to give us the best. You want to bless us. There's, there's not a parent who would say in their right mind, that I don't want to give my children better than I had. And God, we know that you want to work in the lives of your children. And so I pray for those standing this morning, God, that you will work in an amazing way in their lives. God, that they'll surrender those areas to you and they will get and commit to make moves to heal those areas in their lives. God, they'll plug into a local church where they can be loved and supported and that we'll surround them God, we praise you. We thank you for your love. And we give it all to you this morning. Everybody say it with me. Amen.